what's really fun is that Paul was with Luke when Luke wrote this down. So most of the book, most of the book of Luke was written during the book of Acts. Some of the book of Acts was written live during the book of Acts as it was happening. And you know how when you tell a story, you tell a story in the context of the people you're telling the story to, right? Like if I just mention Wright's Hill, all I have to do is say Wright's Hill and you know what I mean and I can go on with my story. If I'm telling a story to my friends from uh, Minnesota and I mention Wright's Hill, I have to say it's like this really big hill on the west side and if you go up to the top of it, you overlook the whole Ohio River and it has this awesome sledding hill and then it has this football stadium in it that's on the side of a hill and it can hold like 12,000 people and it's awesome and there's this rivalry with the Catholic school that's right down the road. Oh, all this other stuff. So the part that we're going to talk about today in Acts 9, Paul retells in Acts 26. And so we're going to skip, sometimes we might skip to Acts 26 to fill in a couple blanks and get a little color commentary. But then he also tells the story in Galatians 1. And the details that he says in Galatians 1 are completely different details than what he shares in Acts 26, and then what he shares in Acts 9. And I want to, you know, we're, we're uh, Eastern, no, we're, we're Westerners, and we think like with Greek logic and order and, and linear stuff, and we, we think a story, you know, there's facts to it, and here it is. This was all written to Eastern people. And Eastern people, they will tell, I, I used to work with these guys and they would come in and they would talk to me real sincere and they'd tell me about this thing and then they'd tell me about this thing that was completely unrelated. And then they'd tell me about this thing that was completely unrelated and then they would say like two words that made me realize that all three of their disconnected stories all had to do with the same thing and we needed to go fix their car right now. And it was just like, whoa. And it took me like months to figure out how to keep track of this. That they weren't just changing the subject when they skipped over to this other thing. That it has something to do with this. So storytelling in the Middle East and in, in the Arabic you know, world, now the Arabic world, uh, is really different than storytelling that we know in the West. So... When you hear things that don't fit or I thought it would happen this way or it said over here it happened this way, just know in that time when they were telling that story to that group, these details were important. And at this time when they were telling the story to this group, these details were important. And if the story is being told, here's a perfect example, right? If I tell the story of how they did construction right outside a church and we all had to get rerouted and find a whole different way to church right before church started. If I tell that story this week, I'm going to tell that story really different eight years from now when the whole infrastructure of the west side is different and I'm riding the bullet train, right? And I'll be like, oh, remember when we had to park cars? No, whatever. Because I will have changed a whole lot in that time frame. Anyway, enough intro. 
Paul, no, not Paul yet, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, still breathing threats and murder. What was the last thing we saw Saul do? Hold everybody's coats while we stoned Stephen to death. Stephen may have been in the same synagogue as Paul, because they were both, or Saul, Greek background synagogues, Greek background Jewish people. So he may have just had a lot of vengeance towards killing Saul. Now he's still mad. He's still breathing threats and murder. The, uh, the breathing threats and murder, there's another, another just picture like a horse, like a war horse that's just like snarling and ready to go into battle. That's, that's what, how he is just... Uh, he goes to the high priest, asks him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. So if he found anyone there belonging to the way, men or women, he would bring them bound to Jerusalem. This is over 100 miles away. It's a 100-mile journey. It would take about a week. And he's going to bring them back. And now, just think for a minute how miserable that's going to be. He wants to go on a horse and gather people up and then he's going to haul them. You think they're going to be in horses? Mm-mm. He's going to drag these people all the way back to Jerusalem to be thrown in prison. The thing is, he is not just doing this because he is mad. It's not a personal vendetta. He has now brought the law into things. He has letters. He has documents giving him permission to do this. And so if any Romans would stand in their way, well... Rome is powerful, but the Sanhedrin rules over any Jewish person in the Roman Empire. And so if a Roman would come and stop him and say, hey, what you're doing, you can't do it. They'd be like, hey, this is church business. This isn't any of your business. And the Romans would step back and let Paul do whatever it was he was going to do. Isn't that wild? Probably ruled by the Sadducees, which brings a little bit of drama into the thing. Because if the high priest and the rulers of the Sanhedrin were mostly Sadducees, they are going to send a battalion. They're going to send troops. And, you know, not like a whole army, but a couple army men that are also Sadducees along with Saul. But Saul's a Pharisee. So they're going to agree on Moses and they're going to agree on the law, but there are some things they don't agree about and so they don't associate with each other. So there's some tension. Something could be going on between Saul and his army men that are with him, that are, that are kind of the muscle to help arrest all these people and drag them back to Jerusalem. And so he has his documents And Saul's not just going on his own. He's going with all the authority of 70 some odd rulers of the Sanhedrin. So he has authority. And if he changes his mind, this is it's important that he's not just going on his own. Because if something were to happen to him, all those letters would still be the authority and still be standing. Right. It's like bringing a law. He's going on his way and he approaches Damascus. Suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
day. Tremendously bright light. There's questions whether he was knocked off of his horse, whether he got off of his horse by himself, whether he fell to the ground. We don't know the the exact details of that, but we know at some point he got on the ground and he was face down to the ground because there's this powerful, powerful light. And all of his army men with him saw it too. And they were on the ground. So these aren't guys that don't believe in God. They believe in God. They believe zealously in the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The Yahweh that spoke to Moses out of a burning bush. The Yahweh that that brought down fire and opened up the earth and swallowed 20,000 people with their kittens and their puppies and their little kids because they disobeyed God. I mean, these guys, they have reverence for God. They, They see His holiness. They just don't think Jesus is co-eternal with him, right? They don't, they don't see Jesus as the Son of God. And so when they see this light, brighter than the sun, middle of the daytime, they know it is power. They know it is something beyond anything they've ever grasped before. They fall on their face in, in humility and in reverence and in fear. And Saul is the only one that understands what he says. It says that the other guys heard a voice, but they didn't know know what he was saying. And Jesus says, why are you, or this voice, sorry I gave it away. Why are you persecuting me? Now this is a stump, because Saul is like, you're this bright shining light that I can't even look at. How am I persecuting you? And he said, who are you, Lord? And Lord is just a, um, who are you, sir? Who are you, oh, great one? You know, he's, just, he's not saying Lord the way you would say Lord later. The way they would use the word Lord was just, you're powerful. Who are you? I want to use a term of respect. Who are you, oh, great one? And he says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. So for one, this is a oh-no moment for Paul, right? For Saul. Realizing all of this time when he's been throwing people in jail and breathing out murderous threats, he's been persecuting this powerful, bright light person. The encouragement to us, which we can't even talk about without quoting a whole bunch of Paul's letters later, is that all of us who believe in Christ are in Christ. And Christ is in us. Jesus prayed this in John 17. He said, Lord, I pray that I would be in them as you are in me and I am in you. That they would be in us. So when you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He died on the cross for your sins, and He rose from the dead, when you believe that... You are in Christ. If you are in Christ, everything that's true of Him is true of you. Because otherwise you couldn't be in Him. His evil can't dwell in God. God evil can't dwell in the presence of God. It's blown away. It's vaporized. It's destroyed. And yet here we are dwelling in His presence 
Because all of our sins have been taken away. So, when Paul, when Saul was persecuting Christians, he was persecuting Jesus. Same goes for us today. This, this gives us all kinds of authority. This gives us all kinds of confidence. This gives us all kinds of hope that we don't have to be afraid of anything and that we can greet everybody with compassion and mercy. Because when somebody calls me names, Jesus said it in the Sermon on the Mount, when people call me names because I'm a Christian, I don't have to get mad at them. I don't have to punch them in the lip. Say, don't call me that. I can be like, wow, those poor, poor people are calling Jesus by that name. Because when they call me names, those names are falling on Jesus. And Jesus isn't punching them in the lip. Right? Jesus is having mercy and compassion. When Jesus had the chance, he said, forgive them, Father, they don't know what they're doing. And he got a whole lot, he said that when, during a whole lot less, worse than being called names. So here he is in me. So Saul hears this. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. All of those men and women thrown in jail were Jesus. Jesus was in them. But now Jesus isn't going to dwell on that, is he? He's not going to, you burger, burger, burger. He's like, here it is. Now here's what you got to do. Rise, go into the city, and you'll be told what to do. Do you remember when Philip got called by the Holy Spirit? Go out on the road that leads to Gaza. Go out there, you'll get told what to do. Saul, go into the city, and you'll be told what to do when you get there. Okay. Right at that moment, he didn't believe in Jesus. He just surrendered to Jesus. He didn't even know. He had no idea what he was dealing with, did he? The night I got saved, I had no idea what I was dealing with. I just knew I needed to get saved. I needed a rescuer. Saul, get up, go into the city. You'll be told what to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. So they know, they know about Saul. He is a rock star Pharisee. He is like one of the top dog super Pharisees of all the Pharisees. And they are his army. And they know, they've all seen this bright light. They haven't all heard what the voice said. But they know he's had a vision. Right? Sometimes I've experienced just a little hint of this when I've been with one of my mentors. And I ask him a question and they go, um, and they just sit quiet for like a minute. And then they give me an answer. And I'm like, what just happened in that minute? Something went on. They, they were thinking through how to answer me and what to say. So these guys are traveling with Saul. They know he has had a vision. Something has just happened. They figure out that he can't see, that he is blinded, and this is not like blindness, like when you look into the wrong side of your camera, and you flash yourself in the eyes, and all you see are dots for a little bit. It's not like that. This is blindness. They realize 
They heard it. They get up off the ground. All those eyes were opened. He saw nothing. So they lead him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. This is guy, rock star Pharisee, knows the law frontwards and backwards, has letters from the Sanhedrin to personally throw people in jail and drag them back to Jerusalem. He's got an army of thugs ready to do all of his fighting for him. And what is he now? He's shaken. He's blind. He's being led around by hand. He doesn't know where he is or what he has seen. And he's just been accused and judged. You are persecuting me. Jesus. He's heard about Jesus. He knows things about Jesus of what these people teach. And now Jesus himself has shown up and put him in judgment. For three days he was without sight and he neither ate nor drank because he is so freaked out. He, he has been judged. He has been, been condemned for his actions and he is feeling the weight of that condemnation. So remember, in Acts, I've said it before, here it is again. The Holy Spirit doesn't actually do very much in the book of Acts without people. The Holy Spirit could have just saved Paul right here. Jesus could have said, here's who I am, reveal everything to him, give him understanding, open his heart, and Saul becomes a Christian. That's not what he did. He said, go on into town and wait, and you'll get told what to do. The Holy Spirit could have shown up to that Ethiopian on the road and been a vision and been an angel and behold and Jesus and blah, blah, blah. And the Ethiopian would have been saved, but he didn't. He sent Philip. You go. The Holy Spirit could have shown up in Samaria and shown all those Samarian people and, and converted Simon the sorcerer. And Simon the sorcerer could have been like, no, we should all follow Jesus now. And everybody would be like, who's Jesus? We thought you were the great power of God. But the Holy Spirit didn't do that. The Holy Spirit worked through Philip. Philip went and talked to Samaria. And so now we have Acts 9.10. This, this is a good verse to remember. There was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. This is just like Isaiah in chapter 6 of Isaiah. When God says, who will go out for us? Who will get our message out? And Isaiah says, here I am, Lord. Send me. Ananias we don't know why he's in Damascus. He might have been from Damascus. He might have fled to Damascus when all the persecution happened. Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. <sighs> and he's seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. So Saul isn't even in Damascus yet. And at some point, Ananias heard that he's coming. So let's just sit on this for a little bit. 
Ananias knows that Saul is coming to Damascus to arrest Christians, and Ananias didn't leave. That's pretty bold. That's pretty awesome. He knows that Saul is coming to Damascus to arrest Christians. It's a hundred some like 115 mile journey. That journey would be dangerous. There would be pirates along the road. Ananias did not form a little group to go stop him along the road and slit his throat and stop him from making it to Damascus. So they knew this was happening. He didn't do anything to stop it. But he also didn't do anything to resist it when it came. But in this moment, during a vision, he has fear and doubt. Which gives us some great instructions on how to pray. If we can pray to God and look God in the face and say, how does he say it? Lord, I have heard from many about this man. Are you sure? Are you sure about this? This is so encouraging to me that we can pray and we can get a sense of something from the Lord and we can say, Lord, is this right? Like, is this really what you want me to do? We should... It's Paul would write later that you should question everything, that you should hold everything up to Scripture, that you should review everything. Don't trust the spirits, but but discern, have discernment, have counsel. In Proverbs it says, seek counsel to give advice, and that's how you win. So here's Ananias himself. Lord, are you sure about this? The Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Whoa. So think about the most vile, disgusting, despicable person you can think of. No, don't do that too much. Darth Vader. We'll stick with Darth Vader. How's that? God appears to you in a vision and says, this horrible, despicable person has had a vision of you coming and praying for them. And I'm going to use them to reach all of southern Indiana for the gospel. That guy's a jerk, Lord. Yeah, I know. But I'm going to use that person. All of a sudden, this changes how we judge people, doesn't it? This changes all the bitterness I have towards all the people that I ever wanted to have bitterness towards. Because gosh, what if God's going to... Am I okay with God using that person that gets on my nerves? Am I okay with Jesus empowering and living in and being making a part of his body that person that did me wrong? Do I love my own justice or do I love Jesus? I love Jesus. And so glory to God if he uses that dirt bag to reach a whole bunch of people that need Jesus. Right? Because Jesus doesn't see that person as a dirt bag. So now maybe I can learn something else from Jesus. I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. <laughs> so you got to think, when Ananias heard that, he was like, all right, that'll work. <laughs> I will show him how much he's going to suffer for my name. As long as he gets some suffering, Lord. 
It's also heavy because it's like, whoa. Saul is being reached out to by God. He's going to be instructed. He's going to be led. He is going to be the instrument of God to carry my name before the Gentiles. But there is going to be suffering involved in it. Ananias departed and entered the house, laying his hands on him. He said, Brother Saul. All right, so that vile, despicable person that you thought of. Can you imagine them being frail and desperate and in need? And God says, you're the only person that I'm going to use to heal them. So Ananias, in his fear of Saul coming to kill him, enters into this house. As far as we know, all the guards and the army men that have come to arrest people like Ananias are there. Ananias' first words... To this bloodthirsty killer breathing out murderous threats against people of the way is brother. The Holy Spirit is working through Ananias to show everybody in this room, most importantly Saul, what the forgiveness of Jesus can do. Here comes the power of the forgiveness of Jesus. Here comes the power of reconciling men to God. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. (laughs) I love that because he's in saying that to Saul. He's saying, if you want to see again, the only way out of here is with Jesus. If If you want to get back. You have one way out, and Jesus is that door. And whatever else you think might happen to you, Jesus is the only way out. Immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Do you think he believed it? Do you think Saul believed it when Ananias said it? I think Saul was just waiting. He had three days of fasting Three days of of not eating or drinking anything and of prayer. He had learned the scriptures. He didn't have to have any scrolls to read. He had the whole thing. He had the whole thing, you guys, memorized. The entire, we had the Old Testament. He had all that from memory. So he could just lay there in his blindness, going back through Isaiah, going back through the teaching of Moses, going back through Numbers, And realizing all the stuff about Jesus was really true. So when Ananias says, and and somewhere in there, Saul had a vision that a man named Ananias came. And so he might already know what Ananias looks like before he ever had his sight. How's that for kind of cool? He sent me so that you may regain your sight, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. He then rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. What's fun is we have no idea what happened to those guards. Those military dudes, we have no idea what happened. We know that they didn't do anything to Ananias and they didn't do anything to Saul at this moment. But they were probably there with them. Kind of interesting, right? 
For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Isn't this the guy who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? Jesus' name. Has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? They all knew that he was coming to arrest Christians. And here he is showing up, telling people about Jesus, that he's the Christ. And they're so confused they can't stop him. You know, if, if a really famous person that was really known, you know, this is, this is what Paul, Saul is like in Damascus. He's like a famous preacher. It's like Billy Graham coming in. And, you know, everybody knows him. You would love to hear, oh my gosh. You know, if, uh, if I got up here some Sunday morning and Billy Graham came and sat in the back seat, I'd be like, why am I even preaching today? Like, I'm going to save my sermon for next week. Billy Graham, come on up here. What do you have to say? That's how Saul was in this time in the synagogues. And we're going to see that later. When he shows up at a synagogue, people are like, oh, that's Saul of Tarsus. Get him up here. See if he has anything to say. And then they let him speak and he preaches about Jesus. So he did that and everybody's confused. But... Him doing this is part of the message. Because if people are sitting there and they're listening to Saul and they're like, wow, if Saul of Tarsus, rock star rabbi of Tarsus, believes this, then I want to believe it too. Then it must be right. And so it wouldn't do any good. It would do good. But for him to flee and run and to not preach is part of the message. For him to stay and say, yesterday I was this, last week I was this, but today I am this, is part of the message to all of those people. Again, this is a totally great lesson for us, right? If we're one way, and then we go talk to people, and we come across as a different way, I can say, you know what? I was being a jerk last week, and I was thinking about myself. And... I was praying about it, and I was reading the Bible, and I just realized that is not the way for me to be. And I, I want to be different. And if I'm going to talk to you, and I'm a follower of Jesus, I need to talk to you differently than I talked to you last week. And I'm sorry, and now here I'm doing this. What just happened? Part of my life is the testimony. Not just a bunch of facts in a book. I'm showing you with my life. So a couple days go by. A long time goes by, actually. We'll find out in a minute. Acts 23, when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. Their plot became known to Saul. They were watching at the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night, led him down through an opening in the wall, and lowered him out in a basket. So the city would have a big wall. People would live on that wall and have their windows facing out up high. And basically, Saul, if you wait at the gate and you know Saul leaves... There's a lot of accidents along the road. There's a lot of pirates. Anybody could get killed. So they could just be watching whenever he leaves the city. That's our chance. Send somebody out to kill him. This is always the resort of losers that don't have the truth. If they have to resort to violence to get their way, you know that they're not standing on anything. Which just goes to show this should never be the resort of the church. 
Because we always have the truth to stand on. We don't have to resort to violence. Let the world do that. I'm going to skip. Because I wanna, don't want to get too ahead. Because I want to talk about this other thing. So skip over to Acts. Acts 26.12. Saul is talking to King Agrippa. And you guys, this is like 25, 30 years later. Saul is telling the story of how he became a Christian. So that whole story we just heard was Saul telling it to Luke and Luke writing it down. Probably pretty close to when it happened. Um, Yes, probably pretty close to when it happened. Acts 26. In this connection about his zeal, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. When we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Oh, that's interesting. That wasn't in the other story, right? You know how something happens to you and it might happen to you over the course of four days. And years later, when you retell the story, you don't say on day one, this happened. And on day two, this happened. And on day three, this happened. And on day four, this happened. You just talk about the whole event as one big mishmash. I think while Saul was praying and fasting those three days, somewhere in there, or maybe when he got when he first fell off the horse, the statement it is hard for you to kick against the goads was said to him by Jesus. And so he puts it all together in the same event. All right, so what does that mean? It's hard for you to listen to correction, basically. Goads were the little sticks that you used to get your sheep to go in the right direction. And if you kick against it, it just hurts worse. It's not sharp. It's not uh, painful. It's not deadly by any means. It's just a nag to nag, nudge your sheep where you want it to go. And so Jesus told Saul, it's hard for you to take correction. What are you doing? He says, who are you, Lord? The Lord said, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand up on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those which I will appear to you. Again, this is all the stuff that Jesus told him over the course of those three days of blindness. This is what he heard. You're going to be a servant. You're going to be a witness. Delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles. I'm going to rescue you when, things, when danger happens to you. To whom I am sending you to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. The other reason why Paul tells it this way in this instance is he's talking to King Agrippa, who's a Gentile, but is interested in Jewish stuff. And so he's really emphasizing salvation for the Gentiles, that Jesus has the power to save the Gentiles. All right, last thing. What Paul says in Galatians. And then we'll skip back to Acts. I want you to know, brothers, that 
The gospel preached to me is not a man's gospel. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. You've heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently, tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me, I did not go immediately and consult with anyone. He didn't go talk to anybody. I didn't go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went off into Arabia. And then I returned to Damascus. So what we just now read, Saul, scales fell off of his eyes. He started preaching in Damascus. He preached and he preached. He went to Arabia for three years. Then he came back to Damascus. Preached in Damascus and then did the basket out of the window thing. Okay? Luke, when he first tells that story, none of that stuff is important. All those travels in this part, it's important when Paul's explaining himself to the Gentiles. Then he went up to Jerusalem. He remained in Jerusalem for 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles except James and the Lord's James the Lord's brother and Peter. And then from Jerusalem, he went to Syria and Cilicia and he went off into a whole nother place for 14 years. All right, now let's get back to Acts 9. We'll close this up. He went in among them in Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He spoke and disputed among the Hellenists. They were seeking to kill him. When the brothers learned of this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. All of that is what happened before the 14 years. So Saul got converted. He went out into the desert. He went off isolated for three years with the Lord. He came back to Damascus, went down to Jerusalem, preached in Jerusalem, and then went. All, right, all that to say, he's been changed. He himself, his own life, is part of his message of salvation that Jesus saves. And that's our last encouragement today, that we ourselves, our lives, our gospel messages, that we have been changed. Everybody knows how we could act in a circumstance. Because they know how they would act in a circumstance, right? But the Holy Spirit is working through us not to show some glory and convert them, but to convert people through us, to show people through us what Jesus does. Because that's, that's how he worked in Acts. He's making people part of the message. And he's still doing that. He's making us part of his message that Jesus saves. Let's pray. Lord, you are so good. We praise you, Father, that you don't change, that you are the same yesterday and today and forever. And we praise you that not only do you have mercy on us to save us, but then you equip us and commission us and guide us and send us forth for our whole lives to show off your great name and to proclaim your message. I pray that you would do that in us this week, Lord that you would help us to live our lives in such a way that it is a message
to the world that you have saved us and that you can save them too. We praise you, Lord. Amen. All right. Let's stand and sing number 205.